what do you love about dogs the most? What do I love about them? Yes. Just how they're all so different. I think that it's often, it's something that gets really overlooked, you know, with just the regular pet dog owners who, you know, they've had German shepherds all their life. And, but this one's not the same as the other German shepherds that they had and why. And I think that just understanding that they're all individuals is something that's just really overlooked, I think. Um, and, you know, sometimes when we think about Pickle and why isn't he just as easygoing as the other dogs? And it's like, it's just who he is. Welcome to Life With Your Dog podcast. Our focus is educating dog owners, enthusiasts and dog trainers about ideas on how to train, manage, live and thrive with our dogs. To teach dogs to live in our society while our dogs teach us how to live in the now. I'm your host Panos Anagnostou. And I'm your co-host Luke Badman. Thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of Life With Your Dog podcast. My name is Luke. I'm joined by my co-host and friend, Panos. And tonight we have a special guest, Fiona. Welcome. Hey, Thank Fiona. you. Hello. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, I think we've been meaning to do this for a little while and I'm glad it's finally happening. It it's, on, very, it's on. We're on. It's very happening. exciting. You know, and I've wanted Fiona to come on for a long time now. And just for a little bit of background knowledge, Fiona has been working and assisting me in running Nutris Pooches for the last two and a half years. And a lot of the good things that have been happening is because of Fiona's assistance and she's awesome. And there is more that I wanted to talk about today, but just to have you on and to show the people that it's not just me doing stuff because business and running business is not always as easy said than done. But also you've gone on an amazing journey with training and I want the world to know where you're at. So um, thanks for coming on, Fiona. And first and foremost, tell the audience how you got to know me and what started you in dogs in the first place. Okay, so like 90% of people during COVID, I decided it was a great time to get a dog. (laughs) Why not? (laughs) I had a horse before this um, and I retired my horse in from competition and from ridden work in March 2020 and I thought what am I going to do to fill my time now and I thought perfect opportunity to get a dog um, I thought I've trained horses how hard can a dog be <laughs> famous last <laughs> words yeah exactly yeah. um So my husband and I decided to look around shelters. We wanted to get a shelter dog. And we went down to Sutherland Shire Council, where we originally went to see another dog called Biffy. And I think, Thanos, you know Biffy, who was in that shelter for a long, long time. Biffy is a lot of dog. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And we went down to see him. He actually um, had a little go at biting Ben, my husband. So we thought, okay, maybe he's not the dog for us. And we had a little walk along the rest of the kennels and spotted Pickle, who it was then called Toby. He was the only one not barking, which we quite liked. <laughs> <laughs> and um, took him out and he was super, super friendly. And we thought, 
you know, he seems like a really lovely dog, very excitable. <laughs> but yeah, he was he was a really nice looking dog and he seemed like a lot of fun. So fast forward a couple of weeks, he had to be desexed and we went to the vet to pick him up. And the mayhem that we saw through the doors of the vet, we kind of thought to ourselves, oh my gosh, what have we done? He was jumping up on the table. He was just being an absolute menace. Um, and at that moment, I think Ben and I were saying to ourselves, I think it's a good time to get a trainer in. <laughs> how, how old was Pickle when you got him, when you adopted him? He was 12. He was a year. He just turned a year. And he's an yeah. American Staffy on the papers, cross? He's an American Staffy, American Bulldog cross, yeah. 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 What was the thought process behind um, wanting to get um, a shelter dog? Was there any was there any particular reason for that? Or, well, we both had both Ben and I had had dogs in the past. Granted, my last dog was a Westie, so I'm not really sure what you know the thought process was for going for something so different from that. But Ben had always had shelter dogs, and they were always great. <laughs> um. So, yeah, we just thought it would be nice to adopt one from a shelter. We had actually been to see other dogs up um, at another shelter, and we just didn't really, we thought that none of them were going to suit the lifestyle that we wanted. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of why shelter dog just do something good. <laughs> exactly. And when you got him and you came back from the, sh- from the vet, was that because you were picking him up from the vet or you had him prior and then took him to the vet? No, no, no. So he stayed at the shelter until they got him dissexed and then we picked him up from the vet. So that was your first image of the dog out of the shelter, like, oh, my gosh, look at this dog carrying on like a pork chop. He was was absolutely (laughs) nuts. They were trying to put a cone on him and he was thrashing about. Um, And, yeah, it it was a lot to see. And then he came out the doors absolutely just, bolted towards us <laughs> <laughs> zero control so yeah when we were at the shelter actually they recommended um Nucha's pooches to us for training and even though they recommended Nucha's pooches I still called around a few other trainers told them the situation um one trainer told me because of the breed that he wasn't willing to take the dog on um what did he then, mean did he elaborate on that or yeah he said that we had missed the critical socialization period and that it's likely that there wasn't much that he was going to be able to do so did he only this guy only trains puppies or what yeah i'm not a, i think he <laughs> might be a victoria stillwell <laughs> mm. if he feels that he can't control the dog then he will make may, possibly make up a reason why He's not going to come out rather than saying maybe it's a bit out of my wheelhouse and experience. Yeah, and stuff. yeah. Which is like, I would rather somebody just say that. Yeah. yeah. At least he was upfront about it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we rang around a few others. And after speaking with everybody and then speaking with Panos, I decided that Panos was the the right person for for the job. Good move. And <laughs> Put you on a yeah. rabbit hole. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we booked in our sessions with Panas and he came well, to. I haven't had this conversation with you. What was your first um, first impression, but then also like how you felt after that first session? Because we probably would have booked in maybe like the, the package or whatever, which is a couple of sessions. Yeah. What was your initial impression compared to what you think now? My initial impression was, okay, all is not lost with this dog. We can, 
you know, there is a way that we'll be able to. We just we couldn't even take him out of the house to walk. He was intense. I remember he he was. Inside, inside the house, the zoomies he was doing, I'm like, what the hell's going on? I think I chased him around for a little bit too, didn't zoomies. I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you had, you had to tell him to stop jumping like and trying to bite your face at one point, I think, too. Um, <laughs> oh, Pickle. <laughs> so, Where'd you get the name? Where's Pickle come from? Is this because he's a bit of a pickle or what? The, so <laughs> we chose Pickle because he's not to everybody's taste. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. I like it. That's a good one. So yeah, like in hindsight, it doesn't really suit him. I think his original name Toby was probably better. But <laughs> no, pick, pickle is pickle. pickle. <laughs> nah, pickle's awesome. Too late. We can't go back to Toby now. <laughs> Too late. Yeah. Totally. Um, yeah. So I guess after that first session, I felt that we did have a, a way that we were going to be able to move forward with him. At one point I did consider, like we both considered returning to the shelter because we thought this, have we just bitten off more than we can chew here? He's so much dog and under socialized. We had no idea that that meant, you know, he couldn't be, he couldn't even look at a dog from 50 meters away without shaking and whining and just carrying on. So to be able to even just take him out onto the street and walk up and down was amazing. <laughs> and when you lived in Redfern as well, being so much activity around. Yeah, yeah, very heavily dog yeah. populated there. Mm. So we did have to be careful about what time of day we went out. And also with the um, in Redfern, people don't always put a leash on their dog because why would they? Um, <laughs> so it was extra stress for us to go out with him there. So we didn't stay long in that house before we moved to another house um, with a yard for him and a bit more um, space. Were you in the 3am walk club at one point or what? Uh, look, I didn't go 3am, but I definitely was up at like five. Yeah. <laughs> but I actually really enjoyed that as well. I loved going out in the morning super early just put him on a long line and a harness and let him just sniff around because it was the only opportunity that he was going to get to be able to do that um and i think that you mean because there were no other dogs around at that time of day yeah Yeah. there's no other dogs around and it was less stressful for everyone involved but Mm. that's not really an option now he goes out in the middle of the day or whenever we have time to take him out there (laughs) Well, like the, the, the journey it put you on. So when you first started training, you were like the regular client. And another thing that I wanted to discuss from a, not from a professional's point of view from now, but from the perspective of a dog owner, the mm-hmm. conversation of we should use a prong collar because this will help us walk the dog. And I wanted to have a, just like, no, not to elaborate too much on it, like to be preachy, but like, what was the experience like of, from a, from a, client's point of view going what what are we looking at and then and then the feeling of relief of being able to utilize it in our training so i do remember the first time that you showed us the prompt color it was on our second session and i said i i didn't want to use it um i really didn't feel comfortable with it and i thought look i want to try just using a martingale to see if we can just work on this um and we got you know some results but then on the 
third session, I think it was, uh, both Ben and I were just like, okay, we'll try the prong and see how it goes. And it was just night and day difference. And I think it's just the communication uh, that you can have with the prong with such precise small movements was so much easier than having to try to wrangle him on a martingale. Like he's a lot of dog. He's 30 kilos and he's 30 kilos of just muscle thrashing about. So being able to, to really, I suppose, precisely use the prong and see the difference of that made. It's like having power steering and yeah. having, like not having power steering. That's the the difference. A good and analogy. He, yeah. And even today, like, he is on the prong every day and it's not because I can walk him on a harness, but if I want to communicate with him while we're on a walk, I just tap the prong and he's, yep. And that's all it takes. And it's such a small, a small movement that's needed from it. It's yeah. I love it. And honestly, we wouldn't be where we are now without it. Like absolutely not. Yeah. It can be very difficult to think of life without, having to use, you know, using our prong collars for, for certain dogs, it's it, it, it will yeah. radically change. Um, but like it's, it, for certain dogs, and I don't think it's for every dog. For sure. Um, Definitely and, not. You know, the majority of them don't need it, but when you have, you know, the mind of a dog as intense as pickle, the only way to bring them back out of that was to just use the prong and say, like, hey, just listen. Yeah. Checking on me. Yeah, so much easier. 100%. And there was, I think it was in our fourth session that the deal was, hey, like you can help me continue training the dog while I'll kind of like help you do your admin since you are like (laughs) so flooded. I don't know how you're dealing with this. And and that was after the first mini lockdown where I was literally booked out three months in advance. It was like, I didn't even know how to manage life. I was burning out. Like, how do I deal with it? So you offered to help. And then it got to a point where, I can't keep swapping this time for the amount of help you're going to give me. <laughs> so <laughs> two and a half years later, you've been on on um, helping my admin side, booking my inquiries in and, and just the, the way that I run the background is like radically improved, um, which has been awesome. So thank you very much. Um, but also so you, what, what, you, what were some of the changes that you guys brought in when, when Fiona started helping you? Like what, what, how did things improve? Like what were the steps to do that? So what I did prior was I just and I, I would answer the phone or just call people back. I'm writing things on paper. I'm booking people in. I'm just a one man show. Just kind of I know where I'm at when I look at my crazy notes. Mm-hmm. But then when having having somebody else to do it, and I was very nervous. Like it's like giving away your baby, your baby in a yeah. way. Yeah, it's like you can do this. And then when she starts like emailing people, I'm like, oh my god, emailing is better. Um, and just we had to save it so that save it in certain areas so we can both see what's happening. So like sharing files and then having the client form become not a fill out a form thing, but online we have an online sort of way that we do it. And through the emails, it's just a lot more seamless sort of way that if both of us had to step away and someone else had to replace us, it could be done. And that was the point. We could do a lot better and we've worked on a lot of things in the last (laughs) year or so. We won't get go down that rabbit hole, but that's been pretty frustrating. But I guess it's important as well for for the dog trainers that are listening is that, you know, 
having the passion for dog training is one thing, but running the business and having the passion for running a business is a whole different thing. And for me, it's stimulating and motivating. And I've been doing it for basically my whole adult life. So I wouldn't really know any different, but it is a lot of work and it is stressful, but also you reap the benefits too. Right. So, um, but it's always important to have the proper help and to have some optimism. Like I remember we, you were coming, like watching, um, shadowing, some of my work, Fiona, and as I drove past the Carringba High School, you're like, oh, yeah, um, maybe we should ask them to do the training. I'm like, oh, they won't. They, they won't say yes. And I was all grumpy. And then you emailed them and they're like, um, they said we can come down and have a chat. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. So I think it's important that, you know, building a team and having people that help and have, have the same direction as each other is really useful. But, um, yeah, so – that's the kind of the story about how Fiona, of course, in that time, tell us what was the what was the moment of going, hey, I want to pursue dog training further. What was what was that catalyst that compelled you for that? I think that you know the more time that I spent with you um, in our sessions, I thought I really want to understand this a little bit more how it all works and how it's all applied. And I asked you what, you know, what the best way to go about that is. You caught the bug. <laughs> I did. Um, and to be honest, I didn't really want to do a course to become a dog trainer. I just wanted to to understand how his crazy brain worked. Um and kind of said the only way to do it is through the NDTF. And then I went and did my NDTF course. <laughs> so, yeah, it was it was really interesting. And even going into it, I didn't go into it wanting to you know, change career or anything like that. I just wanted to, like I said, understand and just get better at it myself and see how far I could take this dog who was absolutely mental from day one and see how see how how good we can get him or how happy we can make him because clearly he's wanting to um express drive that he has and I wanted to figure out how I can harness that and and fulfill that for him perfect answer and after doing the NDTF you started to get involved with the GRC. Yeah. And when did you start doing GRC with people? Well, first of all, not everyone knows what GRC is, right? That's so let's, true. Let's just quickly break that down. Break it down, um, yes. You did have J-Jack on a couple of weeks ago, panel, mm-hmm. so there's a bit of a connection there. But I'll let Fiona, could you please explain for us what's GRC? Yep. So GRC is a dog sport that is specifically designed for bully breed dogs. So any of your bulldogs um, or any dog really, to be honest, can do GRC, but it was designed with the bully breeds in mind. So the G uh, stands for gameness, the R is relationship, and the C is control. So in GRC, we have what's called drive sports, which is mill race, spring pole, wall climb, and weight pull. And then you have social responsibility tests, which test the control part of it. Um, so, yeah, that's a little how bit did, of How did you, you sort of get into it, though? How did you find yourself getting into that? 
So I think, Hannes, you mentioned GRC in one of our sessions and after doing the NDTF, Glenn Cook also mentioned it to me because I actually had Pickle with me at my NDTF. He was being used by another trainer, but you know, Glenn saw him and thought that would be a good outlet for, for your dog. Um, and he pointed me in the direction of the GRC club in Sydney, which at the time was in Campbelltown um, with Jazz Whiting. So every Sunday I used to drive an hour with the dog to take him to GRC. Um, and when I first went there, I couldn't have Pickle within like 50 meters of any of the other dogs without him starting to whine and kind of cry and do the horrible stuffy sound that comes out of him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, just continued to go every week and just built up, kind of desensitized into the environment understand that other dogs can be in drive and doing things and barking and playing. And he needed to be able to try to control himself. <laughs> so yeah, that was our first um, kind of intro to GRC. And I continued doing that with Pickle um, with the goal of doing our social responsibility test. So we passed our SR1 or probably two years ago, maybe a little bit more. Um, and then recently we just passed the first leg of our SR2 test. What's in SR1 and what's in SR2? So SR1 and SR2 and SR3 as well all have the same three components. The first one is your leash communication. So greeting strangers, loose leash walking, um, and your dog isn't allowed to pull on the leash. It must all be done in a flat collar. Um, no pulling on the leash, no jumping on the greeter, on the people that you're greeting, no going off to sniff things. Um, then the next section is your verbal obedience, um, which is just that verbal. You cannot give any additional cues with your body at all. Really difficult to do because we do these things absolutely unknown to ourselves. Um, and then the third part of it is your calm liberty, which basically the dog is on a 10 meter long line and they're free to do whatever they want, but they have to be calm. They can't go running around doing zoomies. They can't eat things off the floor. They have to kind of be the ideal. I think I heard somebody call it a barbecue dog. So the dog that's just going to hang around and not bother anybody, but be nice and chill. Yeah. Barbecue so dog. <laughs> I love that. That's, so that's so true, actually. Yeah, like it just means like be a cool dog. They're like it's not yeah, like yeah. you know getting in the way, basically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And so then with SR one, two, and three, the difference between them is the distractions that happen. So in SR one, okay. it's very minimal distraction. SR two, you have a person specifically on the field trying to distract your dog. Um, through all of the different phases. So through your greetings, your verbal obedience and your calm liberty. And then in SR3, you have three people on the field trying to distract your dog. <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah. Awesome. And congrats on getting your SR2 recently. Thank you. Thank you. Really exciting. Yes, we, need to, we need to do the second leg of it at some point because you have to pass it twice to gain the title. 
Um, so we will hopefully do that sometime, but it's difficult. There's only one judge in Australia, so we need to, yeah, try. Is to that enter. jazz or? Yeah, yeah, yeah jazz. Yeah, jazz yeah. Is, the, is the only judge qualified judge in Australia. So I know there's a couple of people in Melbourne and a couple in Sydney who are going through the traineeship, but you have to shadow trials, and when trials are so far and few between, it get it's yeah. tricky. Right. It, it look it it's, it's a bit of time. Yeah, it's really difficult. It's you know I'm I'm pretty envious for you know people in Europe and the states to be able to have so much access to so many different dog sports and like community that has been there for a lot longer and has matured, but also there's more numbers everywhere, and it's an actual thing where you have access to a lot more. And you know I think I'm pretty optimistic on how we're going in Australia. It's a little bit slow, and of course we've had some hurdles along the way, but there's a lot of interest, but there's just not enough you know, kind of attention on it. And it's important that even to address that, oh, so you had access to training, but going to the dog sport is what's fulfilled pickle more so on so many levels. And also you've learned the ins and outs of training. And in that time, you've been helping colleagues and working, you know, for Nutri's Pooches, doing a couple of sessions, you know, obviously in this time as well, you failed to mention that you are a mother and your son is how old now? (laughs) Eight months old? And now he's almost one. Oh my God, craziness. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's, you know, <laughs> when's his birthday? The 22nd of, of April. April. Oh, yeah. okay. Wow. Real soon. Yeah. yeah. Nice. It is. Wow. You're already craziness. So, um, so, you know, but in, in that time, what it's, what you've, what you've put in and what you're getting back is, is, you know, it has compounded year on year and what you've learned in that time that you are literally a professional dog trainer who, um, where, I think it's really cool to see from the beginning that, that, you know, your, your transition and process in it all has been awesome. But before we continue, I want to know a little bit about what your involvement was with horses and what's the, what has, what has been the biggest connection between working with horses and training them essentially to training dogs. Hey guys, it's Luke. Uh, I just wanted to take a moment out of the podcast to thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, Obviously, we don't just do this show just to hear our own voices. We love the fact that you guys take the time out of your day to listen to our episodes each and every week. And on that note, if you are enjoying it, we'd really appreciate it if you took a moment to leave us a review or a rating on your favorite podcast listening app. So, whether that's Spotify or Apple Podcasts, if you could hit pause on this episode and, and go and leave a review or a rating on the platform that you're listening into. We'd really appreciate it. It helps other people like yourself find the podcast uh, and helps us to reach more listeners and and hopefully grow the show and grow the community around it. So we'd really appreciate it if you could. And thanks for listening. Um, So in a previous life, (laughs) when I lived in Ireland, I was a horse riding coach. So I did that for most of my work in life. So I started riding when I was really young, having lessons. I lived really close to the stables. So I used to ride my bike up after school every day and just go clean out stables for free um, because I loved it so much. So yeah, that kind of continued. My parents thought I'd grow out of it. Never happened. How Um, old were you when you started getting into horses? Probably seven or eight. Oh, okay. So this yeah. is a long, a long-term love affair. Yes. 
yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, then I, you know, obviously did a lot of competing with horses in Ireland. I used to do a lot of fox hunting. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and um, a lot of show jumping. And then when I moved to Australia, I thought, you know, it's working outdoors in Ireland is not really the most fun thing you can do. And people work with horses for the love of working with horses. Um, so when I moved to Australia, I thought I'm going to change my life and work in an office. It's really hard to get an office job when all you've done is work with horses, by the way. <laughs> I can imagine. And as soon as I arrived in Sydney, I ended up teaching pony camp at Centennial Park. <laughs> cool. So cool. <laughs> I didn't quite get away from it as quick as I wanted. Yeah. But yeah, with training horses and actually while I was, when you come to Australia on a working holiday visa, to get a second year working holiday visa, you have to do what's classified as farm work. So when everybody else was going up to far north Queensland and dealing with horrible spiders and stuff, I was working in a really nice stables in the Southern Highlands. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> it's a tough life. How good is that? Where was that? In Barrel sort of around there or? In Sutton Forest. Okay. I don't yeah, know where so- that is. Oh, it's a, it's quite a small little area, but just yeah, just a little bit south of Barrel. Okay, yeah. Um, and so yeah, I've just training horses. There's quite like a process that you follow, um, and I think that if I knew then what I know now about learning theory and negative reinforcement, positive reinforcement, and all the quadrants, I think that when I get my next horse, I will train it differently based on what I know now. What would you change? Um, There's a lot with horses, a huge amount of negative reinforcement used. It's a lot of pressure and release. Um, And I think that there's also a little bit of a lack of building a relationship and a connection. Um, And I think that doing people tend to go, want to go straight from, you know, the horse being unbroken or, you know, not used to being ridden yet to just wanting to jump on its back and ride. I think that there's a bit of a gap in a lot of people's training and spending time with them on the ground and just building a bit of a relationship on the ground. And you can still use, you know, your positive reinforcement and negative reinforcement um, on the ground with them to teach them a little bit more sensitivity to it than you would being on their back. Mm. And when you say positive reinforcement, how did you re or how do you reward the horse? Is it the same like a dog? Yeah, you can treat, you can give them a treat. Mm-hmm. You know, horses. So you, you typically use pressure to get them into a position and then release and mark and then feed? Okay, no marking ever happened. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was going to say, like, do you use markers with a horse? Yeah, like- no, no. So, a lot of verbal, a lot of verbal praise. They respond really well to verbal praise. And especially when you're riding, you can't be like leaning forward and giving them treats all the time. True. So you build up, if you have that good relationship, the verbal um, reinforcement works really well. And just even scratching on their neck and little things like that. You get to know your horse and what they like. And what yeah, how about they- a little tube with honey? going to the side of his jowl. So every time you mark, you'd like give you a clicker and then squirt some of it in. 
while you're also riding. While the you're riding, home. can that work? He's like, oh, so every time you say yes, with you. so you just... your hands are already holding two reins. So it's all right. We could like have like something on your thigh, you can like squeeze it or something. You said something really interesting there, Fiona. You said like you find out what the what the horse likes, right? Which is, I think, mm. um, you know, doesn't always get talked about even with dogs. Like. Oh, no. Every dog is different and the reinforcer mm-hmm. by definition is what the dog wants, right? Yeah. So it's like every dog has a different level of what you they know, yeah, what they respond to, what they yeah. like, what they enjoy. Or even the way you praise. Like you can go, well, Panos said like say good boy and like put your hands out a little bit. But if if I was to give the and the observation of what I do, I'm like, good, good boy. And if I did that, but that coming from me is the reinforcer because he has the connection with me. Mm-hmm. You could mimic that, but he goes, that's weird. Yeah, you're not Panos, yeah. Yeah, so that that's come, that obviously has a lot when you're working with animals. Um, mm-hmm. What's the, like, how did you, how do you find the difference between dogs being predatory animals and horse being prey sort of animals? Is there a big difference in the way you handle and use spatial pressure? Like they respond differently? Oh, yeah. Horses are very, very sensitive to spatial pressure um, and very light pressure as well. If you're just like, you could use a finger to to move them. Um, whereas with dogs, I feel like, <laughs> you know, they lean some dogs that. you can move it, you can use a finger to move them. But, and even trying to move into this space, some dogs just don't respond to that. Um, whereas a horse will generally like, back themselves up and move out of your space. So would you say um, that when you first had Pickle, there was some intuitive nature of working a horse and then now having the dog, it's like, oh, this isn't matching? Or did you feel like you didn't have, you didn't try that off the bat? I don't think I tried that. Yeah. Um, and I think at the time I was quite overwhelmed with the craziness of him. <laughs> yeah. You know, I can I know how to deal with a crazy horse. Mm. Don't know how to deal with a crazy dog. They're just like, I yeah. do now. Yeah. <laughs> I know how to deal with this crazy dog. Yeah, true. <laughs> and when you say crazy horse, what give me a, a def, like an example? Oh, just if you had a very nervous or highly strong horse, how you would deal with that, I guess. Well, it might be a little bit similar to how you would deal with a nervous dog, but with a nervous horse, calm, like very hard pressure strokes on their neck just to try to calm them, um, talking to them in a very calming voice. It's, yeah, I feel like with a dog, sometimes if it's highly strong and nervous, you're not going to put your hand on them because sometimes that can just make things worse. Mm. And the difference in animal, like the energy of the animal, like when the horse loves you and your dog loves you, what's the difference of that feeling? I don't really connect that much with horses. I love horses, but if I'm near one, I'm really sketchy. Like I just, I don't know what to do. I've had like no experience. I've ridden horses before, but I just, when I see them, I don't see the expressions of what I see in the dog. So I'm like, you all look like you're saying the same thing. Yeah, yeah, they're not as express. Well, you know, to the untrained eye, they're yes. not as expressive. But they will use their ears a lot to um, to tell you what they're thinking. Their tail, just how they stand. Um, I think that, yeah, they have they have their own way of <laughs> of telling you what they're thinking, and they're quite 
easy to predict as well. Like, especially with their ears, for example, you know, if you're walking up to a horse and it doesn't want you to approach it, it will generally like ears go flat back and it may show teeth. But the first thing will be the ears going back. And so people will generally like back up. And if they don't, if you don't back up, then they may lunge forward for a, a bite. Damn. <laughs> But you said as well when I pat when I went to go pat my our local horses that they raise their lips to smell and it looks like they're showing teeth. I'm like, oh my god, the horse just showed yeah. me teeth. Is there a difference in the way that you mentioned about raising the yeah. lips? Yeah, yeah. So the thing, the lip curl that you were talking about was when they smell something and they want to kind of contain it within their nostrils a bit, so they flip their top lip uh, up so it almost covers the nostrils a little bit. Whereas Think of the other part as like a lunge and bite like a dog would do. Yeah, wow. Yeah. That's, that seems pretty intimidating <laughs> to me. Um. <laughs> how, how do you feel like, um, how do you feel your knowledge, your experience, you know, with horses has helped you in dog training? Um, I think that, you know, the pressure and release side of things, because when you're riding a horse and you have the reins in your hands, you are holding the reins that are connected to a bit in the horse's mouth and always being really conscious of the amount of pressure that you have in your hand is something that's just ingrained in me. So when I'm walking the dog and there's too much pressure in my hand, I think, well, I need to, I just need to fix this because I hate having that amount of pressure in my hand. It feels really unnatural for me. Mm. So I think that, yeah, that, kind of the pressure and release side of things definitely I feel I've got more refined with the dog because of riding horses yeah for sure and and there is that there is still that the essence of of having the feel for the animal like you're in in that space you know how to respect that space not act like a five-year-old and that you certainly have to have that when you're around horses and if you're around Mm -hmm. it's from such a young age I'll because I got a dog when I was 18 years old. So it's not like I grew up with a dog and like, but, but for me, it still came quite natural. But if you're always around the animals from a young age, you have a natural feel that you don't even know that you're doing something to even put it in words. So even of course, teach it, but even to understand it, it's just like, isn't that normal? Like when yeah. there's a, a dog yeah. there, you don't just run up to it and put it in a headlock. Yeah. <laughs> and a- I think, yeah, that um, my kind of, it's second nature to me to understand to look at a horse and be able to tell, you know, what kind of mood it's in. Mm. Um, when I introduced my husband to my horse, um, it was really interesting to kind of think, oh, like you actually don't understand how to act around the this animal at all, and it's not something that comes naturally. And my horse obviously would come right up into my face because you know he knew me but when he did that with my husband he was like oh my gosh like what's he gonna do is he gonna walk over me and I was like, no he's actually just coming up to say hi but to somebody who doesn't know what's the difference between him coming up to walk over you yeah. what's the difference of him coming up to say hi he's walking towards you you know 700 kilos of horse that's a lot of horse that is a lot of horse how's um go back to dogs how how was the feeling you know when you said that when you first had pickle and there was that like oh have we done the right thing should we should we take him back and 
just, and we haven't had, had this conversation, but the, the, you could have, it could have been that you took him back, found some other dog and he was just, and we'll just say the average dog mm-hmm. that plays with all other dogs and is easy to handle and doesn't need like all this extra amount of work. How, how has, what has the feeling been like to know that, wow, this dog that needs so much effort, because there's a lot of dogs that are exactly like Pickle that can't get that sort of level of anything from owners, hence why they don't really live such a very fulfilled life or or some dogs don't even get to live because aggression issues and things manifest. Where um, what what has that been like? A feeling of looking back in hindsight, like where are you at with where it's all taken you? Um. I think that it's definitely kept me busy. <laughs> um, when I, you know, when I go out with Pickle and, you know, I can take him to places with me. I can take him to a cafe. I can take him to a pub. Um, granted, there's a bit of management that needs to happen, but that they were like some of my goals that I wanted. But they're kind of like for me, right? I wanted, I wanted to take him to the pub. Does the dog want to go to the pub? Probably not. He doesn't give a damn about going to the pub. Um, he might. <laughs> <laughs> he gets all the extra pats. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I feel like, you know, it's really kind of changed my like perception of what it is to have a dog. And I think that... Yeah, I see I see dogs differently. And I know we've talked about this before, Planners, where you used to see dogs as things that need to be fixed. And um it's I see dogs at walking now and I just think, you know, do they ever get to do anything else? Do they just I see there's one woman in my area who walks her husky, just walks the legs off it every day. And I was just like, does it ever get to run though? Does it ever get to do anything else? Um and I think, yeah, kind of having Pickle and always trying to find ways to fulfill him and be kind of creative in how to do that when I can't let him off leash because he's an absolute liability. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that it's, yeah, it's definitely changed how I, I think and feel about other dogs. I think it does become ironic that it's when we, because if he was the happy-go-lucky dog that yeah. was the barbecue dog off the bat, then <laughs> you'd you'd be in a different, literally right now, you'd not be here talking about dog training. You wouldn't even know anything really about dog training. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just think it's it's kind of cool that the thing that we struggle with, it's our, it can become our choice for that weakness, for example, to become a great it's strength. Strong. Yeah, it's just it's so it's so cool, and I, and and I think it's always important to because people listening are, are in a uh, are in a position now where they have a difficult dog, hard for them to control it, and there's like this your story is like there's hope, but also it kind of shows hey like you can even take the situation by the balls and make the most out of it, and the things you know now uh, uh, it will also help you in parenting, help you in life, help you about yourself, understanding about drive and motivation, like most. Mm. Like for me, I never thought of it on the level that I think of it now and how we discuss and we talk, you know, on a regular basis that when we start to see dog training, not just as a psychological thing, but as a neurological event, it it really does, you know, 
make us question training on such a cool level. And the fact that, you know, I guess one thing that I would like to see is that GRC does grow and or, or or sports that are similar that would cater to every other specific breed. I think it's just really cool that not only are you involved, but also, you know, you're involved on the on, on the admin side of, of GRC as well, helping it grow. So mm-hmm. that's just been really, really cool. I have a question. Mm-hmm. What do you love about dogs the most? What do I love about them? Yes. Just how they're all so different. I think that it often it's something that gets really overlooked, you know, with just the regular pet dog owners who, you know, they've had German Shepherds all their life. And but this one's not the same as the other German Shepherds that they had and why. And I think that just understanding that they're all individuals is something that's just really overlooked I think um and you know sometimes when we think about pickle and why isn't he just as easy going as the other dogs and it's like it's just who he is um you know we've asked him to live a pretty unnatural life for him um he would definitely rather be out like pig hunting or something for sure definitely (laughs) that's not an option, you know, where we live. So, and also I don't think I'd ever get him back. <laughs> but, Who knows in five years, you could be pig hunting in the Southern Highlands. The dream. <laughs> <laughs> Although I am taking pickle to try lure coursing next month. You Have need you to tell me what that is. Cause I don't even know what that, that is. <clears throat> okay. So lure coursing is where they set up a course usually between 600 metres and a kilometre. And they have a, I think it's just a plastic bag on a wire and then it goes like on a... Yeah, it's got little posts everywhere. Uh Yeah, yeah. and the dog needs to chase it and try it. So it's about being accurate to the course and the dog's speed. So not like cutting corners and stuff, but in my attempt to always find different outlets for pickle, um, we came across lure coursing and it's actually all fenced in. So he can't run off. (laughs) Wow. Um, And I thought he, you know, he loves to run, loves a sprint. So I thought let's give this a shot. So cool stuff. Where's that at? It is at at Hawkesbury showgrounds, I think. That one. Okay. Yeah. In May. Interesting. Yes. Well, I hope he I hope he has a blast. Uh, look, I think he'll just run for the sake of running yeah. when I let him go. I don't <laughs> know if he'll follow the lure or not. But <laughs> is there anything to prepare for it? <laughs> yes. Pardon? Is there anything to prepare for it? Well, that's what I was trying to figure out. Like, do I need to get him doing some sprints? I'd get Probably. maybe maybe some one of those lures and just try to. It's just you know a plastic how. bag. Okay. Will he chase it? Because you know how yeah, he's... How's his prey drive? Um, I think the plastic bag looks similar enough to a white fluffy dog that mm. he'll, he'll go for it because yeah, he won't okay. know that it's not. Okay, because it'd be novel to him. So he's like, yeah, yeah I'm going to chase yeah, that. Yeah. Thing. yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. I think be- so. So I don't want to introduce him to a yeah, okay. lure like that until he sees it. I want him to see it for the first time on the day to see if that natural... And a drive is going to kick in. Interesting. Yeah. To answer your question, Luke, he hasn't got the most amazing drive for playing tug or mm-hmm. chasing the ball. 
but the oh. real thing he wants. Oh, really? So no, no, not not super into tug, is he? No, no. Um, which is something that is a bit disappointing from a GFC perspective. <laughs> mm. I mean, um, I you should never assume, but I guess I did that. You know, given that he's a, a bully breed, right? Like they typically yeah, very interesting. Yeah. Enjoy think- it. Um, Thomas and I have talked about this before, but we think that his play drive was probably a bit crushed um, when he was a puppy. Mm. Um, From what we know, he was just living in a backyard for the first year of his life. And I don't, I know that he's terrified of the hose. So I think that the hose was used to, you know, because he, he, he fits the the perfect mold for a dog that would just be savage on, on a tug, but you present the game to him and it's almost like he shuts down and, yeah. but he doesn't have a drive for it. It's not like I want it, but I'm scared. Is that like, I just, uh, what are you doing? It's weird. He will, he will open up and play with my husband, but it's because, well, my theory is that because there are no rules to their game, it's just a free for all. Yeah. <laughs> like, Pick and it's more personal play, right? Shops. <laughs> yeah. No, he'll play with it. He'll play with it like a soccer ball with him. Okay. Yeah. I do try to tell Ben to always have a toy of some sort or, you know, your arm is going to become the toy. Mm, we should once get... Pickle gets going, he can, he can get a bit crazy. So Ben's homework is to maybe let's transfer some of that dry, get the soccer ball, we're going to deflate it, and then, like, use that to <laughs> kind of... Getting the tug oh, yeah. on it. The soccer balls never stay inflated for very long. All of our soccer of balls are dead. <laughs> even chill. I found one land in my backyard the other day, and I swear to God, it wasn't even like five minutes, and it was like completely like someone put a bunger in it and just blew it up. I'm like, what? What happened? He's just like, oh, I killed it. <laughs> it came over the fence, and I dealt. I dealt with it. Yeah, craziness. Um, so, what's gonna- he into? Like, what's pickle? Like, what's his? You know, if, you, if what's his like ultimate reinforcer? What's he love? food yeah okay (laughs) he yeah he is very very food driven um almost to a point where he can't really concentrate if he's say if i use his bowl of food to reward him for something if i ask him and he knows the bowl of food is around if i ask him for a behavior he will throw out every behavior (laughs) he possibly knows and he's just like, it's got to be one of them. Just give me the food. Yeah, right. So he goes a little bit to the extreme. Mm-hmm. On that. Almost like he's like losing clarity a bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. He just loses his mind a bit. <laughs> but, Which yeah. is interesting because I think he, for a not well, you know, a lot like for a, a lot of dogs, food is actually, you know, where you start. Be quite precisely mm-hmm. because they're not losing clarity in that in that moment, you know, but every dog's different. Like we just spent 10 minutes talking about, right? Mm. Yeah. No, look, and I think also things that we learned um, and kind of got reinforced through through the J-Jack seminar was we have to also, and I've been implementing a lot in the last couple of weeks, is like using the food as as the play. So literally, um, and I think even Jay gave the example, he goes, he can play a five-minute food game and not even give the food to the dog because the dog's not even wanting the food per se. It's the... It's the activity that it, it surrounds, you know, and yeah. and I think. What's an example of that? How does that work? Like through like a luring game. So right. like dogs following the lure, but you're, but, it, but he does it in a lot more of a creative way. It's not like back and forth, up and down. It's like mm. up the body through here and becomes a bit of like a, like a bit of a wrestle, you okay. know, and 
he mixes personal play within it. So like we're playing the game. It's like we're sparring together and it's, um, and it was really cool um, with Jay discussing the, um, the play with me, like, and, and it kind of makes sense. Like if I want to play soccer with you, we're not obsessed by the ball. The ball is just a vessel for us to do the game. Cause if that ball went over the fence, we get another ball. It's not like, Oh my God, the ball's gone. We're screwed. So using the tug, using the food, whatever it is, it's, it's the, it's the action we're doing for it rather than being focused on ball is reward. So do behavior for reward. And even I've been modifying a little bit more, adding more play within it. And I've seen a massive increase in Chili's drive um, and clarity, um, which has been really cool as well. Um, So, yeah, so using the food to play, what else would you suggest, Fiona, like using the food games? Is there any other things that you do to incorporate play with the food with pickle? Um, I've tried not to use food to play with him just because he's in a food drive then rather than the play kind of play drive. Um, I did do some of the food game that Jay um, showed as well. Um, But again, Pickle just thinks that he's being lured into a position and I'm just like, no, you have to try to get the food. He's just like, I don't know. What do I have to do to get it? So he he got a bit confused by it. So we have just been working on a bit of personal play. And then I have recently been working on his play just inside. So I think some of Pickle's issue with his play is not feeling that he's allowed to play or not feeling that he's allowed to get that kind of aroused or excited. So if I play just like on the ground inside with a tug, I can get him to kind of chase it around me um, and then have a little bit of a fight with it and but then end it before he ends it. So kind of leave him wanting a little bit more. And over the past couple of weeks, I've been, transitioning it now to outside so nice i think two days ago was the first time that i got him to play the game with me outside which was awesome it was really really good and it's just you know there's my positive reinforcement for all the work that i've done trying to get him to play (laughs) um it was really fun to be able to have a proper play with him and for him to be really invested in the game. And I think that came from me spending the time inside and building up the value in the game inside before transitioning it to the backyard. After that, I'm going to transition it to the front yard, which is a lot busier. So we'll see how that goes. And with a 12-month-old baby. Yeah. So you're just a warrior. <laughs> you're, do- you're getting it all done. You're efficient, you're effective, you're still awake and it's 8.30 at night. Um, like, you know, you're, 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 you're an asset to, to us, that, that, that's for sure. But, um, hey, it's been really, really cool having you on, Fiona. Thank you so much. Thanks for And it's been me. very insightful. And I've actually learned a couple of new things today about you, so that's been cool. Oh, excellent. <laughs> well, and um, I guess if you want to reach Fiona, then just message us at Nutris Purchase and... She'll get the email. But check out Pickle's Instagram to see what he's up to. Yeah. Yeah. What's the Instagram? Tell everyone. Um, his Instagram is pause, P A W S underscore with underscore pickle. Pause with pickle. Uh, Love pause it. with pickle. Love it. Thank you for making the time to come on today and share your story, Fiona. That was really cool. Thanks, Fiona. Thanks. See you, everybody. 
Thank you for listening to another episode of Life With Your Dog. Please share with your friends if you're enjoying our podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help others find the show. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook, Life With Your Dog Podcast. My name's Panos, and to keep up with my dog training adventures, tips and techniques, you can find me on Instagram at NP underscore dog underscore training, my website, npdogtraining.com, or my YouTube channel, Nutris Pooches. Thanks for listening, guys. My name's Luke. If you'd like to find out more about my dog training services, you can find me at www.kizuna, that's K-I-Z-U-N-A, canine, C-A-N-I-N-E, .com.au. Uh, I'm also on Instagram at Kizuna Canine Training. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.